0: Thank you for listening to Emanuel Baptist Church's podcast. For more information about the church, please visit our website at www.emanuelmanning.com. Thanks, and enjoy the sermon. Let's look together at Mark chapter 4 as we continue our series through the gospel of Mark. We're looking together this morning at verses 1 through 20. And what I want you to do as I read this text is I want you to keep your ear out for how many times Jesus says the word either listen or hear, okay? So follow along as I read. And he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. Immediately it sprang up, and since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And the other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 baskets, uh, with the 12 baskets, getting my stories mixed up, and those around him, the 12, asked him about the parables. There we go, Drew. And he said to them, to you, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God but for those outside everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive they may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven and he said to them do you not understand this parable how then will you understand all the parables the sower sows the word and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown when they hear Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, and the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are those, the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire For other things, enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. I want to tell you about a preacher who preached a sermon. The first time he preached this sermon, uh, the congregation filed in quietly, listened somewhat attentively, and filed out afterwards without saying really a thing to him. He was a busy pastor, and so when a congregation a few miles away asked if he would preach for them, he decided he'd preach the same sermon. Pastors do that. Um, And it was gonna be the same sermon he preached two weeks earlier. When he ascended the pulpit in Enfield, Connecticut, On July 18, 1741, Jonathan Edwards fixed his eyes on the back of the church and read from his manuscript, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he began the sermon and as he did so, uh, he began to unfold the doctrine of everlasting punishment. All of a sudden he noticed that he had to stop because of shrieks coming from the congregation. They were literally crying out loud. He had to stop five times before he finished the sermon. Uh, And at the end, it's largely recognized as probably the greatest sermon ever preached in America. Same sermon, two different, very different results. And the question is, how come? Why? Why did the word that probably most of you, if you went to public school, at least when I went to public school, we still read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, Uh, in English class as an an example of the kind of sermons that brought about the first great awakening. I think a lot of us like to think of America as a Christian nation, but before the first great awakening about 6% of people went to church on Sunday mornings. It wasn't great, but after that the momentum sort of began. Jonathan Edwards preached the greatest sermon that we've ever known and he probably was still the smartest man America's ever produced. So why? Two different, very different results with the same sermon. Well, that helps us with today's text because the thing about preaching is the sower sows the word, but the thing that determines the outcome of that sowing is the soil, isn't it? In some ways, Mark will put a little asterisk on that, actually a big asterisk, but the soil And this kind of thinking would have been exactly what was in the minds of the people of Israel at that time. Jesus had no problem attracting great crowds. It was just the kind of great crowds that he attracted. Jesus tended to attract sort of the average Joe or worse. He was up in the north, uh, and the northerners in Israel in that day were the ones who were considered the backwater rednecks. It's switched in America, apparently Uh, But up then, it was the north, and the people down in the south in Jerusalem and Judea were the smart, educated, really the godly folks. And the problem is, Jesus wasn't having much success in Jerusalem, and he wasn't having much success with the leadership of Israel. Those who, by every account, would have been on the inside, when it came to Jesus, it was the ones normally on the outside who were in. Prostitutes and tax collectors and just regular folks. And they may have been asking themselves, why in the world does this teaching, which has changed my life, tend to fall on deaf ears when it comes to the very people who should know it most? And I think with that in mind, Paul, Mark, excuse me, tells us, reports for us, this parable today. Now, I want to take a time out before we get into our sermon, just to make a couple of quick nerdy points, okay? Neil read for us Deuteronomy 6, which is probably the most famous text from the Old Testament Uh, a good Orthodox uh, Jewish person would quote that every day at least once a day it's called the Shema and it comes from a Hebrew verb Shema which means to hear so that hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one that's why we read chapter six in Deuteronomy because did you see how many times Jesus in our text talked about listening and hearing did you see that now, here's the nerdy point that I just want to kind of continue to hold before you. And I've kind of made a point of this every week. We talked about how a couple of weeks ago when Jesus went up on the mountain, he called his 12 disciples. And it said he, he made his 12 disciples. And he picked 12 because he was obviously referring back to whom? Israel in the Old Testament, which had the, the 12 tribes. And we've had this kind of growing theme where Jesus goes up on the mountain and he calls the people of this new Israel to him. And I just want to point out before we go into the sermon that we have here another hearkening back. Because now that Jesus has called together these 12 apostles and those who are with him, uh, now that he said this is kind of the new Israel, it's amazing to me that the first sort of big chunk of teaching he does in Mark focuses, just like Deuteronomy 6, on that idea of hearing, and here's where the nerdiness comes in, and then we'll jump, you're like, you were nerdy when you walked up, bow tie, but remember, and if this washes over you and you don't get it, that's fine, we're going back to the text in a second, to the Greek mind, and in many ways, we fall in that tradition, the primary organ of knowing is seeing, right, so for us, what is believing? seeing. And we like that. You know why? Because the eyes go out and they scan. They're an active sense organ, right? They go out, they scan, they look at things. We can look at things from a distance. We can take things in. We want to see the Lord. We want to see the truth. When we think about knowing, we think about seeing. It's not that way in the Bible. In the Bible, the primary way of knowing anything, for you nerds, the Bible's epistemology is not seeing but what? hearing and the ear is not an active sight agent, the ear needs what? it needs somebody to speak and if you're anything like me being playing drums for twenty years you can't hear anything from a distance you've got to be what? up close and so Jesus is here picking up on the Old Testament way of knowing and that's important for us this morning because we're going to be talking about how to hear things and for the Bible if you want to know the truth you don't go out searching with your eyes. Now, that has a place in the Bible. I'm not saying that. But the Bible has a much more humble way of knowing. It is opening up my ears and pulling close to the one who speaks the word of God. Does this make sense? And this goes into uh, our way of handling the text today because Mark is going to have two points for us uh, that I want us to focus on this morning. Uh, The first is the responsibility of man in responding to the truth. The responsibility of man in responding to the truth. But then, secondly, Mark does this very well. He wants to point out the sovereignty of God in revealing the truth. The responsibility of man in hearing the truth, the sovereignty of God in revealing the truth. Let's look firstly at this idea of the responsibility of man in responding to the truth, This is exactly what Jesus is talking about. Jesus' primary motivation, the thing he wanted to do more than anything else, was teach. He he would leave spots where there were people hurting who needed miracles because he says, I've got to go elsewhere and proclaim and teach the kingdom of God. And so Jesus, when he speaks to this new Israel for the the first time in a big chunk in Mark, he's going to talk about listening to the word. And this is the responsibility that we have. You have an obligation before God. Every single person, because you were made by God and you were made for God, you have an obligation for his glory and for your own benefit to listen attentively to his word. This is the central theme of the parable. It's the need to hear and respond to the good news. In verse 3, 9, 15, 16, 18, 20, 23 and 24 Jesus says something about listening to the word and when Jesus is speaking of that good soil he uses a, a, a present tense linear verb which means the, the good soil people are characterized by listening it's interesting he almost uses a past tense verb describing that bad soil they listened they listened they listened they listened but then that good soil is listening to the word twice Jesus gives a command where he says, listen up, listen up. And so what Jesus is going to do is he's going to focus on hearing and he's going to talk about the two or three wrong ways of hearing the word. And then he's going to talk about the right way to hear the word. And I have no authority in myself, but on the basis of the authority of God's word, that word which speaks for him, I want to remind you this morning that you have an obligation To be a good hearer. But you may learn something about yourself because Jesus says this parable that the sower, he goes out to sow. And it sounds like he's kind of wasting stuff, doesn't it? I mean, what you would do is you'd kind of get your field ready. You'd plow it up. Then you'd get that little seed digger that drops the seed in. We've got some who are familiar with farming. They're probably laughing at me right now as I try to describe that. But you get your soil ready. But the problem is in Israel, There's good evidence that they did it the other way. But they went and and land was so scarce and so kind of hard scrabble that they just went out and chucked seed everywhere. And then after they had thoroughly gotten the ground covered, then they would plow and turn it under. So you you would be casting seeds onto different kinds of soil. And Jesus here wants to talk about those different kinds of soil. And I promise you, listener, this morning, you're one of these. You are one of these. And so what kind are you? First of all, we have the hard soil. So yesterday out at Tracy's camp, we went out to um, do skeet shooting and and fire weapons because that's awesome. And we walked out on a trail. And I just noticed yesterday as I was walking on this trail that had been trod underfoot by, you know, many, many hundreds, if not thousands of people over the years. uh, That ground was hard and there were spots where the grass wouldn't grow because it was just compacted down. And that's the first kind of soil that Jesus talks about here. It's the hard-packed soil of the path, and it's representing those who are really just unresponsive to the message that God has for them. And the crazy thing is that in the context of Mark's narrative, the people who are hardest are the people who you wouldn't think would be the hardest. That is the scribes and the experts in the Bible, the Pharisees, the legalists, They were the people who you thought of all people would be most ready to hear what Jesus had to say. But Jesus says, no, uh, they're actually the hardest people to reach. Which is just a reminder to us that one of the best ways to protect yourself against God is by going to church. Right? If you go not to receive the word, but kind of to defend yourself, to show the rest of these plebs what's going on. To make yourself a good American or a good Southerner or or whatever. You, You go to church because that's just what you do. There's no love of God involved in it. There's no real desire to have a soft, supple heart before the Lord and his word. No, you go to church actually to defend yourself against the Lord. And I don't think many of us have to think very hard to know that that's what many people indeed do. As a matter of fact, there's pastors that way. So if you come in here this morning you're like, I'm here every week and when I stand before the Lord, that's exactly what I'm going to say. I was there every week. Or you may in here thinking, I'm not going to listen to some joker in a bow tie. I even hear he's a Patriots fan. Or you think Christianity is for the weak. Or you think I'll take from this what I want and no more. If you feel like you're the captain of your own soul, you're hard hearted. And what we'll see in a minute is that is a terrible place to be. Well, then secondly, you have the shallow part, really the rocky ground. And when it says there's a little bit of soil in these uh, rocky grounds so that things grow up, uh, people in Israel would have had a very good image of this because a lot of the roofs in Israel had uh, soil on them, but it was kind of a hard, rocky soil, and grass would often grow on uh, the roof of houses. And what would happen is every day about mid-afternoon, you'd have these weeds grow up uh, and then what's called a shirako or this hot wind would blow and it would just basically melt that grass, just send it over. And that's exactly what Jesus says here of these people who are rocky ground. They have uh, an initial sort of response to the Lord that looks very good. But it has no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and it had no root. It withered away. We live in the South. We've all seen this, haven't we? That person who uh, was living kind of a profligate life, and then all of a sudden they become a Christian, and they get really excited about Jesus for a time, and then uh, before long, because there's no real depth of soil, because there's not a continual listening to the word, uh, that fades and it withers, and they either go back to bad, or they go to worse. I mean, this is the this is the invitation giving card signing south, isn't it? I mean, how many of us have been uh, in one of the, the, a revival service where you've got you know a preacher up there just kind of turning it on, and uh, the music is going, and, and you have an experience, and then you go down and you give your life to Christ and you sign a card, but within x number of days or months. You're kind of back to where you were or worse. I think one of the greatest problems we face in the American South is not getting people saved, it's getting them lost. Because they've had some sort of experience and what they've been living on and uh, dwelling on in terms of their spirituality for years is not any kind of current belief in Jesus. It is... um, a past emotional experience. And many of us have family members that way and again we don't know how to characterize these people. They they got saved at camp and for a while they were so on fire and now they just seem to be dead. I don't know what to make of them. Jesus knows exactly what to make of them. Still dead. Still dead. Rocky soil. We need to face this, don't we? Because we all have family members like this. And are they saved or are they not? What would Jesus say? They're not. They aren't. What they had was an emotional experience, but there wasn't depth of soil. They didn't continue as a hearer. Well, then you have the thorny soil, the overcluttered soil heart Jesus says that the seed goes down but thorns overtake it and Jesus calls these things the cares of the world the stressful concerns and anxieties that life's challenges bring the cares of this present age. this one's going to hurt I'm just acknowledging beforehand it's going to hurt. I think this characterizes our age, more than any other, in many ways. Do you know why? Because in our day, the sign that you are needed and wanted and important is to be busy. I'm busy. Can you come do this? I'm busy. Uh, can you do? I'm too busy. Uh, can you? No, I'm I'm so busy. Now, some I'd say many of us are really busy. Life makes us frantic nowadays. It's it is hard to slow down. We are constantly bombarded by things the wiring of our brains is changing so that they're shallower and faster and and our lives are reflecting that right it's hard to be a hearer of the word and be busy life is crazy right now i'm going to give you all a a tidbit and you're going to think well that that doesn't feel right, Drew. But if it doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel right because of society, not because of the Bible. So here is what it is. Are you ready? Your life's not supposed to be crazy. If there's things you're too busy for, then you're just what? And I can promise you this, and this is true of me because I've probably said I'm too busy to some of you. Sometimes I like to appear busy. Sometimes I don't feel right about sitting in my office for chunks of a day reading books and studying. It's awesome, though. I love it. Man, holy cow. Thank you for paying me to at least impart study books. I'm so thankful. But then there's another other part of me that's like, well, I don't want people to think I don't do nothing. So I gotta. I, I want to work hard. Do you want to work hard? Yeah, but then throughout the Bible, there comes a time where you stop that. As a matter of fact, if you look at Genesis, there's a kind of an undercurrent that says man was made. God fixed the, the rhythm of evening and morning, evening and morning, evening and morning. And then he made man to fit that pattern so that during the day you what? Work, but then at night, what do you do? You rest. And then one day out of seven, what do you do? You rest. And and, and our society, which, uh, and especially our an economic system which requires constant production out of you so that we can maintain this charade of busyness and productivity where we just sling out crap all the time that we don't need and we, we think that that's the way that it should be And I, I, don't, I don't think the Bible actually supports that behind busyness not always so I'm not casting judgment it's not my job this is not my word But behind a lot of busyness is idolatry. I'm going to provide for my kids in a way I wasn't provided for. This world is going to recognize me. I'm going to show what I can do. Uh, I'm going to make my dad proud. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And meanwhile, life is actually about hearing the Lord and by your work producing things that's good for the world. And having significant relationships. And if you're too busy to hear the word, Jesus doesn't actually put you in the good group. He doesn't say, oh, you're busy. He says, you're thorny. And the birds come and eat. Some of us do too much. I don't think God intended us to do all the things we do, as a matter of fact. I don't think he intended us for, to always be wired into social networking. We are put together to be wired into something. You want to guess what that is? the Bible and others, I'm not insinuating that as soon as you come home from work, you just open your Bible and start reading it. That'd be great. I don't do that. I just think when you come home from work, you need to cultivate a family environment and a heart that is just still enough a little bit of the time to hear from the Lord. So the crazy thing is, on the basis of this, It looks like there's a 75% failure rate. Now, are there seasons in life where you're legitimately busy? Yes, yes. Caveat, caveat, caveat. You know, right? It seems like there's a 75% failure rate, but you know the great thing is or isn't. Yeah, it seems like at each point, um, something happens at each point of the way. Either it doesn't make it in or it sort of makes it in, or the word kind of gets in, then it shoots something, and then it fails, and you think, well, goodness gracious, then there must be a complete failure rate of sowing the word. Uh Uh-uh. Because those who hear the word bear fruit. How? 30? 60? 100-fold. So if the stuff that take root can bear 30, 60, and 100-fold, what does that mean? But yeah, it looks at first like things fail, but over the long run, they come in just fine. Did you know that even to this day, a child raised in a completely secular home in America still has a 40% chance of becoming a Christian? And that children that grow up in Christian homes have only a 20% chance of falling away from Christ? So that you're twice as likely to become a Christian in this, uh, if you're going to change, as to change the other way? In 2050, Christians will still be the largest religion in the world. Uh, Throughout the world, the word does its work. The question is not about the success or failure of God's word ever. It's your success or your failure. And so the question is, do you cultivate the heart of a listener? Do you cultivate the heart of a listener? Do you listen patiently? Do you hear the word and accept it and bear fruit? And I love that Jesus doesn't say, and that good soil, boy, it bears uh, fruit at a hundredfold. What does it say? 30, 60, and 100. In other words, the, the fruit may look different and it may come in different volumes and different lives, but the fruit comes. Because these are people who patiently listen to the Bible. They don't get overrun with anxiety. They don't get overrun with hardness. They don't melt at the first sign of persecution. They lock their ears onto listening to the word. Our church actually gives you a lot of opportunities to listen to the word. Three times a week, and I know that not all of you can make those. I'm not trying to heap guilt at all, because guilt doesn't change anybody. We have a fighter-verse program where our kids, at least, really try to learn. We have a Sunday school class. We ha- we're going to have a women's Bible study on Tuesdays here starting pretty soon. Is it Tuesdays? It's Tuesday, Penny. Thank you. Um, you got Christian radio. You got the Internet. But even with all of that, if there's not a hunger... And so you'd be tempted to read this parable and go, all right. So the parable is about the sower, sowing the word. I got to make sure I'm not one of these kinds of hearts. Well, remember what we talked about last week. We talked about something called a and sandwich. And I hate to say that so close to lunchtime. Called an intercalation. The, the, the Gospel of Mark does this. Just a reminder about listening to the word in an age where we have books everywhere and they're meant to be digested and absorbed and put on a shelf so you can tell your friends you read them and be impressive. In the time of the Bible, most people had how many books? Until the invention of the printing press, people had two, three books. I mean, a 20-book library, you were considered an amazing person. So books in antiquity, because they were not going to be like mass-produced, were written to be poured over time and time again. And if you pour over the Gospel of Mark, you see these Mark and Sandwiches where he starts with one story and then he sticks something in the middle and then he ends with this story, right? So he kind of has a story and then he sticks something in the middle. We saw that last week, didn't we? Where Mark was uh, talking about blaspheming the Holy Spirit in between two sections on his family coming. And then we've got the one where he's on his way to heal Jairus, his daughter, and then the, the, the woman who had the issue of blood, we're going to call that sermon, She's Got Issues, um, with a... With the, uh, so you have the woman in the middle, and then you have the end of Jairus' story. And with all these Mark and sandwiches, you're supposed to read them together. Okay? And you're supposed to fill out the points. So let's fill out the point. We just said you have a responsibility to hear the word. Now let's talk about something else. Not only does man have a responsibility to hear the word, but God is sovereign in revealing the truth. Because in the middle of this parable about the sower, starting in verses 10 through 12, you've got another little section sandwiched in there. And what does it say? And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. What, Drew? What does that say? What does Jesus say in there? It's actually a quote from <clears throat> Isaiah 6, where Isaiah is beginning his ministry, and the people of Israel are so hardened against God's word that God's word has a purpose different than you would think. And the purpose that's different than you would think is the Lord calls Isaiah. He says, you're going to be a great prophet. He's probably the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. He was just a monumental failure if you count people listening as success. Because the Lord said to him from the beginning, these people are not going to listen to you. Their hearts are hard and I am giving you a word to speak to harden them further. God says, I'm ready to judge them, and here's how I'm going to get them ready for judgment. You're going to speak the true, pure word of precious promises about Jesus in Isaiah 42 through 53, and they're going to reject it all, and because of that, I'm going to send in um, the Assyrians and the Babylonians to wipe them out. But there will be a small remnant who will hear Jesus is quoting that here when he talks about why he speaks in parables. And he doesn't divide the group up into four. He divides the group up into two. And the two that he divides the group up into are those who don't listen and those to whom it has been given to hear. See, what the Bible does is it never backs away from a tension. We don't like tensions, do we? I want all the Bible to make perfect sense. Let me give you a tidbit. You know you know why ultimately you want the Bible to make perfect sense to you? It's because you and I want to be God. Right? And so what Mark does is he sticks this in here. It's like, Yeah, you're responsible for the way you hear. But let's remember, big asterisk, God is sovereign over how you hear. And there are some to whom it will be given to hear. And there are others that when they hear a parable, they will think it's nonsense. And it's only to harden them further. Now, you may think, that does not sound like good news. This is a democracy. We choose our president. Jesus doesn't tell parables about the commonwealth of God or about the democracy of God. Jesus tells parables about what? The kingdom of God. God is king. And so while you are responsible for hearing, one of the number one things you need to realize and one of the number one things I need to realize is we need to hear like desperately humble people who need God to work for us. And while a word about God's sovereignty may not strike you as good, to me it's the best news in the world. Do you know why? Because if my heart is hard, what can I do? I can pray. I can beg. I can beseech. I can say, Lord, I don't have ears to hear. Give me ears to hear. Father, anxiety takes your word away where I can't hear it sometimes. Give me ears to hear. Lord, I'm afraid of what might happen to me if persecution does come. Give me ears to hear. Or there are some of you who may be in here thinking, I don't want to hear nothing except the sound of my fork clinking on my plate when I leave this hellhole well, then Jesus' parables will only make you harder. And then God will judge you. And so it's imperative for all of us this morning that we undertake our responsibility to hear and not take it lightly because God is sovereign, but to take it very heavy exactly because he is sovereign over all of it. He can give the word to those he desires to give it to. And so this morning, go to him. How do we close this? Just to remember a couple of things. Don't be too busy. Don't be too busy. That doesn't mean that all of our lives look the same. You know what I mean. Don't be too busy. Because the number one thing that in your life that you are responsible to do is to hear God's word. And to speak God's word. What does it say in Deuteronomy 6? Fathers, what should we be doing? I was convicted. What was I confessing during the confession time? I was confessing a failure of Deuteronomy 6. Not only do I need to hear the word, I need my children to do what? Hear the word. That doesn't mean we don't watch football. We're watching football when we go home today. But it also means that we make a point. Of not being so busy or so unscheduled, which I can be sometimes, that we neglect that. The number one thing my children need is not what I can provide for them. The number one thing my children need is what I have been given, and I need to give it to them. Don't be so busy. Number two, remember that we're responsible to hear the word of God. And so when the word of God is on and open you got the whole world working against you hearing, which means you've got to work to listen. But when you do work to listen, you bear what? You bear fruit. You bear fruit. And then thirdly, take this message out to the world. If you hear somebody relying for their eternity upon a past experience that currently means nothing... We should, when we have a chance in love, probably tell them that, right? You ever read Jesus' parables about the soil? But the great thing is, this Savior who's teaching us and teaching us with a hard word is the same Savior who went all the way to the cross as our perfect substitute and high priest. And so this morning, if you're not accustomed to hearing God's word, here's the first word you need to hear. Are you ready? Jesus died so that sinners can be saved. The Bible says that he was born without the sin of Adam, without that predisposition to sin that we all have. He was born without guilt, and the Bible says he entered into life innocent. And he left life virtuous. Why did Jesus came? He came for a couple of purposes. Number one, as God to experience what human life is like so that he could be a faithful high priest in praying for you in those moments when the worries of the world and busyness are overtaking you. He faced those temptations. So he lived to be a priest and he died to be a sacrifice. The scripture says that he died in the place of all of those who would trust in him and him alone for salvation. And so the first word you need to attentively listen to this morning is this. Is that if you will turn from your sins and place your faith in Jesus and follow him, you will be saved. And he will work in you so that you can bear fruit. And so hear that word first.